welcome to me plus you the nintendo show where we talk nintendo news nostalgia and nitty gritty and today i'm coming at you live talking about paper mario from the nintendo treehouse direct it's not a full direct we're still in the direct drought Technically, we haven't had a full Direct in almost a year, September 4th. I'll go into that later because we might be getting one soon. But for all intents and purposes, this was a Direct of sorts, and it was good. Um, it was focused on Paper Mario, and which is coming out July 17th, next Friday, exactly a week from today. And also, way forward had a new game to announce and show off, which got people pretty excited. It wasn't um, totally drawn up to be uh, anything really big. This announcement of this Direct came in out of the blue yesterday. I just saw on my YouTube feed that there was a live stream ready to go for today at 1 p.m. So, unexpected, not really built up, but nevertheless, that WayForward announcement was a bit of a disappointment. And we're going to get into that. So, let's start off with Paper Mario. Uh, this was, like I said, done as a Treehouse Direct. And we had three people there. And it's a work-from-home setup, so it's not all fancy-schmancy like uh, these other Directs. But they had a pretty nice setup. I liked it. That's all. What more can I say? So, we've seen a decent amount of Paper Mario. Uh, it, it launched... Uh, it was announced just a trailer drop out of nowhere, which is odd, you know, considering we don't know anything about the rest of Nintendo's year. We've had no directs, no lineup of announcements, and then all of a sudden the only thing that we've had was just this random trailer drop of Paper Mario, and I th believe it dropped last month, and they were just saying like, oh, it's coming out soon. Yep, July 17th, really soon, so get ready. And when I first saw this trailer, I was very excited about it. Now, I've never played a Paper Mario game. I probably... I knew about the series vaguely as a kid from Nintendo Power. Um, and it never seemed interesting to me. It seemed actively boring to me. I didn't like the art style. It wasn't until the Wii U 3DS era, Sticker Star and such, that I got interested in Paper Mario. But, uh, ironically, that's what a lot of the fans... Uh, dislike those games. Thousand Year Door is considered the best one on the GameCube. So, uh, I never uh, took the full time to dive into it, be into the series, because the ones that I actually seemed interested in were supposedly not that great. So, uh, never, never made that investment. But, once this trailer came out for Paper Mario, what is it, The Origami King? Um, the Switch, you know, new installment on Switch, I thought it looked fantastic from the trailer that I saw. It just really blew me away with the presentation, you know, uh, you know, typical Nintendo fantastic presentation and polish, which we'll get into a little bit later in this discussion, but it looked, it looked fantastic, so I was excited for it right off the bat from that. Now, there's been a lot of discussion and uh, picking a part of these trailers and commercials that have come out since then. Um, Arlo on YouTube, a big Nintendo YouTuber, I highly suggest checking him out if you like this kind of discussion. 
He's great. Arlo is a big Paper Mario fan. That's one of his staples, you know? He's big on that. Metroid, Pikmin. He's a real old head with Paper Mario. And he has expressed that he's already kind of uh, not disappointed, a little bit disappointed that this new Paper Mario game is not going to be like the old ones. And he's explicitly stated that that doesn't mean that this is bad. It just means that it's different. He can see already from the trailers that the mechanics and the way the game is, it's different from the Paper Mario that he knows and loves. Uh, One of the things that it seems like these old heads uh, have an issue with, and I don't mean that... uh, in a pejorative way, the old heads. I don't mean that uh, to insult the people that like those older Paper Marios, but these OG fans, they seem to not like how, uh, I think they would probably phrase it, gimmicky the new Paper Marios are because they, Paper Mario originally started as, it was paper because it was supposed to be like a storybook because it was an RPG, it was a, an adventure for Mario as opposed to the, excuse the pun, paper thin story that a 2d mario or even a 3d mario game would have so that's pretty neat right but as time went on they uh started to do more and more gimmicky things with it and really play up the paper puns with it and really take advantage of that which i personally think is fine um it seems like they used it a bit to a fault where they it was kind of shoehorned in a little bit a little contrived with the past few entries, but again, I'm not, uh, I'm not well versed. I'm not schooled in the Paper Mario franchise. This is really the most that I've dived into, really looking at one with this really in-depth Treehouse Direct. So all that being said, let's dive into it a little bit more. They started off by uh, showing um, some of the intro cinematic. And I gotta say, it was very Zelda-like. I was really uh, impressed. I didn't know just how story-like and cinematic these Paper Mario games seem to be. And it, but this was specifically very Zelda-like in that uh, Princess Peach has been possessed in some sort of way. It reminds me of like Body from Minish Cap for Zelda. The uh, I, th- I think it's like. Prince Ali, King Ali or something, the evil or- origami person behind the whole thing was, like, undercover for a second and then, like, has, like, revealed himself and, uh, and like, stole the princess and the castle and all this stuff. And uh, all these big ribbons come and take the castle and put it on top of a mountain. And that's, like, the whole plot that you need to go back to the... You need to make your way to the castle. You, get, you need to undo those ribbons to free the castle. But it felt very Twilight Princessy, actually, with everything with the castle and uh, the bad guy taking over it and it being like a, a forbidden spot to get to. And uh, so it was interesting. As a, Zel- as a huge Zelda fan and a very uh, limited, uh, having very limited experience with Paper Mario, that was really interesting to see. It feels very archetypal archetypal i guess you would say uh with its characters and good versus evil and all that stuff which 
I mean, bring it on. I'm all for that in these kind of games, you know. Uh, very Star Wars-y to me in that sense, which has got a very solid story set up, which I think is perfect for a Nintendo game. I don't think you need anything more than that. You know, it doesn't need to be Last of Us <laughs> for a Paper Mario game. Um, and that doesn't mean that it needs to be shallow. It just needs to be solid. It doesn't need to be complex. Because that's not where it shines, from what I know. It shines through the polish and, polish and presentation, it seems. So... They went through a little bit of gameplay after that, and it looked really interesting. First of all, the design of the landscape layout I thought was fantastic. It's all got this like paper mache kind of crafted thing, and is following the um, that crafted paper look, which Nintendo's been doing this for a while now with uh, the the last Yoshi game that came out. Uh, was it? What is it? Uh, Yoshi's Crafted World, I think. Nintendo's been... And, like, Kirby Games did this. Like, this has been a thing from Nintendo for the past, like, five to seven years. They've been doing this kind of uh, arts and crafts turned real life kind of thing. And I like it. Uh, it's starting to feel a bit stale, for sure, right now. But I, after seeing how well utilized and incorporated it is into this game i feel completely different on it now that was my a big worry of mine about this whole thing was is this just now a trite trope that nintendo's gonna do and employ all the time and just make all their games kids games like this you know but i think it uh i think it really works and and i'll explain a little bit why as we go through more of this gameplay so there's lots to explore as you're going through this landscape, there's a bunch of spots that are uh, busted up in, in the landscape and you need to collect confetti from like flowers and things. You, it's like little paper mache that you collect and then you can throw over these spots that are busted up and you throw it over the wire mesh and that unlocks a little thing for you. Maybe get some coins, maybe get a toad or something. That's a big mechanic in this is getting, um, is getting a toad for uh to help you out in battle specifically they actually act as a summon of sorts so there's a lot of really fun puzzles of how you get them and this is where the game's really starting really started to shine for me it looks like is it wasn't just a collectathon to get these things uh it really felt like there was reason to explore the world around you and it wasn't a huge world it wasn't super expansive and uh and all the puzzles that they showed to get the toads seemed super fun all of them seemed like unique to each other and really made sense in the world which again is like the the big theme of this game it seems there was like a hole in the wall at some point and mario took his hammer hit the wall and like hit it a couple times and like a toad like knocked a toad out of it and the toad was rolled up, you know, because he's a piece of paper. And there was one where he threw paper mache on the ground. And above the above that, above the hole in the ground, there's this uh, butterfly floating around, this folded butterfly, paper butterfly. And after putting, patching up that hole in the ground, there's flowers on the ground now. And the butterfly was like, oh, damn, some flowers floated on down. Then Mario can hit the butterfly 
and unwrap it and it's a toad, you know? So that kind of stuff's really fun and unique and it it's a nice way to liven up the gameplay it seems because the gameplay essentially that whole gameplay mechanic there was you know what to do it wasn't a puzzle necessarily pick up the paper mache put it in the hole hit the toad and then you get him same as like a lot of uh i I would think that would happen a lot that would be a pretty repetitive gameplay thing but the unique part of it is the world elements around it that kind of tell a little bit of a story and and our funny little thing you know like it um it reminds me a lot of breath of the wild actually in this way of like the Korok seeds and stuff, you know, you might be doing some of the same actions over and over again, but because of the environment, because of the things around it, uh, it kind of tells a different story depending on the puzzle, even though it's the same gameplay mechanic, it freshens it up that way. So that was really interesting to see. Um, the battle, the battle mechanics. I don't know how different or similar this is to other Paper Mario games because I have not played them. Uh, I know that real-time action has been a thing since Super Mario RPG days on the Super Nintendo where this series really has its roots. But it looked really interesting to me. Mario was in the center of this of uh, these, you know, radiating discs. And on each layer of this like uh, of these circles radiating out from the center of Mario is where the enemies stand and you have the ability to like switch and turn those uh, circles to line up the enemies to get the best path for attack and it seemed like it was really interesting and the enemies will hop around and react to you and you can plane it out and uh, and it's really funny because when you're doing this there's all of a sudden just like bleachers around you and all the toads that you've collected thus far start to uh cheer you on and then you get to call upon them for your summon you know so that's a really nice feature i thought because it shows you it gives you some visual uh indication of where you're at in your journey for collecting the toads it gives you some incentive to collect more of them to fill it up and some gameplay incentive to collect them to use as as your summon. And for those of you who don't know, a summon in an RPG is typically when you uh, spend some points that you have or uh, or use up some power to summon a force greater than you. In the case of Final Fantasy and whatnot, it, it comes as like some kind of spiritual monster kind of thing, you know, that really helps you out. In this case, it's a bunch of toads that you got. So it all wraps up nicely with the gameplay there. Another uh, thing that I noticed throughout this gameplay experience was uh, the polish and the presentation was just unreal on everything. Even the HUD, like the HP meter and all that stuff, was like a paper texture, you know? It looked fantastic, I thought. Uh, everything was cardboard, everything, everything made sense and looked like it was made out of what it was. There's a couple instances, you know, of just like plain computer text and stuff, but it, it all it all made sense where it was. And the visual design too is really nice because Paper uh, Mario has had originally like a more flat design and very bold, but just paper-like, you know? So uh, Mario himself is a black outlined character then outlined in white 
as a flat piece of paper, and he's very he stands out very clearly. And there's no texture to him. And in this world, there's texture to everything because it's this like crafted kind of papery thing. So there's a nice contrast there, and that also really helped define things, because other characters who weren't origami, and like the Toads and a couple of Bowser's minions who haven't been turned into origami, then had that flat original paper Mar- Paper Mario look, and it was a super nice visual contrast, and also acted as a good indicator in the world to tell you which characters were what, you know. So something that I'm curious after watching it was it looked like. It looked a little bit daunting at first, the gameplay, which makes sense, you know, uh, with all the odd mechanics it has. Not necessarily complex, I would say, but just odd. It's not something I've ever seen in an RPG before, but it's certainly not your typical um, RPG battle mechanic system where it's mostly based on resource management and uh and switching out different party members and all that stuff it seems very not even kinetic because it doesn't even seem super real time from what i could tell it just seems more so uh less focused on characters and inventory and more focused on the puzzle of the battleground so that was really interesting i'm curious how difficult it is because this is a kid's game i don't know how difficult past games were but it looked daunting a little bit, but I feel like when you get the hang of it, I feel like it wouldn't be too hard. And the real challenge then I would think would become to get these killer combos and really find the best path throughout things, especially in the boss fight, in the boss fight, which I'll get to in a moment, you'll, uh, you'll see there's some really, it seemed like you could string some really crazy, uh, paths to collect different things the way you might in a Fire Emblem game, you know, like a top-down grid-based, or the way you even might string combos together in a fighting game. So, a couple notes here I have on the design of it, because this, like I said, this really blew me away with the, with the design of it. It looks like it's a masterclass in, in uh, game making. It looks like from nose to tail, everything is used to serve the greatest purpose it can in the game. And I'll show you a few examples of what I mean. I mentioned at the beginning the castle gets taken away and wrapped up by these ribbons. That's the mm, MacGuffin, you could say, of the game. And uh, that's your goal, is to break those ribbons. So, if that's your goal, uh, it's kind of a, you know lackluster goal in a a little bit you know because it is essentially a MacGuffin but they make that stand out to you and feel important because like I mentioned originally the landscape layout of the level design was really interesting because it would you started off at the bottom of this hill but it extended backwards and you saw the ribbon go across the landscape so as soon as you start you see what your goal is going towards it you know that was really great uh, at the end when they showed a bit of this boss battle, the boss battle took place on top of a tower, I believe, on top towards, a, like, on a mountaintop, and you could, the camera would span across, and you would just see mountaintops, almost like a Swedish uh, mountain range, and on one of the mountains, you saw the castle, 
and you saw it wrapped up, you know, another, uh, another great way to put your goal constantly there for you to always remind you of what you're doing. I thought that was a, a great touch. It seems like everything in this game uh, is very, I don't want to say gamified, but it is, there is a game-like incentive to everything in this game, the way that you operate. It's it's not so much just click A to do a, to like confirm a, a menu choice or something, you know? There's, everything has a little bit of fun to it, you know? Sometimes you have to, like, open a door or something, and instead of just clicking A and seeing the animation, it makes you, uh, it makes Mario's arms fold out, like an accord paper accordion. They call it the thousand-door arm, or a thousand-fold arm, you know? And you take, for that, it, it takes in motion controls. You grab the Joy-Cons, and you, uh... You make the motion yourself, like, with the arms to, like, peel off the paper off the wall, you know? And all that kind of stuff gets you really involved in the game. Uh, which brings me to my next point about how the the make of this game, like I mentioned earlier, it's the paper and the crafts, which can be trite if it's just done purely stylistically, but it all makes sense in this game. Using objects like that and making them larger and uh, purposeful in ways that you wouldn't think them in real life naturally livens the imagination of the game. Think about the way, as a kid, a kid might take a couple of normal household items and use his imagination to play with them as toys, and all of a sudden, instead of scissors, it's like an enemy that's trying to cut the paper, you know? And the cardboard box comes as a wall to protect it. That kind of stuff. So all the little tricks and, and stuff in this game that really seem to bring it to life all take advantage of that combined with the craft aesthetic. And we see this in the boss that we saw. the This colored pencil boss. It was a it was really simple, you know, just a, a tin of colored pencils was the final boss, but it stood out, one, because the material, like I mentioned earlier, the material can really change the way that it uh, separates itself from other items in the game and landscapes in the game. Mario is a flat sticker-like object with no texture. Everything in the world is paper crafted or cardboard crafted, one of the two. Paper mache kind of thing. And this enemy was made out of metal. So he stood out as a big baddie, especially because metal, way more solid than paper. So there's just some kind of subconscious stuff there too that makes you kind of realize when you go up to it, like, oh, this is a force to be reckoned with, even though it's just a, a tin of colored pencils. And the way that that enemy worked was it shot out the colored pencils like missiles, and it would they would it would show where they're gonna land on this radiating board. And instead of you being in the center this time, you were on the outside, and you had to find the best path to avoid the missiles and get to attack the colored pencil uh, enemy, which was 
really interesting to see. And the the text, another nice attention to detail here. Before you even see the colored pencil boss, there's some nice foreshadowing. At the beginning of the tower, there's some like colored pencils like sticking into the paper mache tower, like uh, really like jammed in there at odd angles. Looks almost like missiles shot into them, you know, and you soon find out that is how he attacks you. And before you see him, you hear him through some dialogue text on screen. And the the color of his text is multicolored. Each letter is a different color, which is fitting, obviously, for his character. And it's nice, too, because when they do little touches like that and little things different, just like the materials, it shows you, like, some, there's something different about this, and you got to pay attention. Really nice small stuff like that all was shown off in this direct, and it was really great to see. They talked some during the direct. I mean, there was commentary. It was uh, a little bit rough because the delay was so strong between the person playing the game and the other two Treehouse members. But they did some commentary. But there was honestly, it didn't seem like there was too much to say other than a couple explanations of what you were seeing on screen, mechanic-wise. Most of it really came out just through the presentation of the game itself. It was really interesting to see. So... I'm really excited about it. Um, it looks... They showed another... Uh, I think they showed the launch trailer again at the end. And I was watching some of it. I forgot how diverse all the landscapes in it look. And the events. It looks extremely cinematic. It looks like an incredibly made game. And I know some people are... I know OG fans are nervous. Because it doesn't look like a thousand year door. I don't have the basis for that. But... Whether or not it's like the old Paper Mario's doesn't matter to me because it looks great. I can't imagine that this game is going to uh, really disappoint or just be mediocre the way that the last Paper Mario games seem to have been. So that ended the Paper Mario section of the Treehouse Direct. And a little bit of history on Treehouse... For those of you who don't know, Treehouse, I have a, uh, from the a Nintendo wiki, I have a little description here about it. The group was formed in the mid-1990s as an initiative to address the poor quality of the English localization of Nintendo games during the 8-bit and 16-bit era. I didn't know this part. This part's interesting. The name originates from the localization of Donkey Kong Country where they locked themselves away, that's a quote from them, in Nintendo of America headquarters while working on the game to keep the game's secrecy and name held. As the decade progressed, many key members joined on, like Bill Trennan, etc. Tim O'Leary. So, um, that's interesting. I didn't know that the name came from Donkey Kong Country, but it makes sense because they had a logo this time on their uh, presentation start screen and it was very donkey kong country-esque you know very cranky con smash brother stage so that was very interesting uh and we'll tie it into last week's episode about animal crossing animal crossing is a critical project for treehouse 
they say, because it was a first project where numerous things changed to localize a game for Western audience. Uh, I want to do an uh, episode soon about Animal Crossing, where it started and where it's ended up now as a series, and that's going to be an important part of it. Super interesting, the way that that stuff works out with the localization. So... Uh, in 2014 is when they started to have live stream with Nintendo games uh, and like Nintendo directs, which is interesting because before then they were just the localization team and they, I heard them mentioned and stuff a lot in Nintendo power, but now they're like in the public eye as like a bigger part of the marketing, it seems, which makes sense. They're the ones that are there to adapt these games to Western culture, so makes sense that they would be the ones presenting them so after they're done talking about paper mario we moved on to way forward's big game which is drumroll bakugan <laughs> and no it's not 2008 it's 2020 and there's a new bakugan game coming out by way forward and right off the bat i don't think anybody was particularly excited i think most people were kind of disappointed because way forward uh for those who don't know is an indie development studio formed in 1990 they worked through the super nintendo and genesis era they really rose to prominence around um the past 10 years where they uh well actually no no, no sorry before that uh shantae came out on the game boy color and has been coming out since. And Shantae is a platformer that is, I think, a Metroidvania as well. I've never played it. But I know that's a very beloved franchise, highly regarded. They've also made Mighty Switch Force, which I played on the 3DS. I think is also on the Wii U and the Switch. DuckTales Remastered was a big one that came out a few years ago. And those are that's what they're known for now. Uh, and another thing that they're popular, not popular for, but what you would perhaps know them for is... Uh, Sean Velasco Velasco was the former Way Forward Technologies director, and he left the studio in 2011 to form his own uh, development and publisher studio known as Yacht Club Games. So, of course, the people who made Shovel Knight. So, they got some big, big names behind them. Uh, they're not necessarily somebody to mess with WayForward. So if you know them from all that, you're thinking, oh, WayForward Direct? Sounds great. They're announcing a new game. Sign me up. I looked up all their games because I, I wanted to see before going into this. Turns out they are no stranger to licensed games like this. They've made a ton of uh, different games in the past, actually, that would be considered... I don't want to say shovelware, but not necessarily groundbreaking. Not necessarily something that's going to be attention-getting. Uh, this has been around for a while on Game Boy Advance. They've made a lot of games. Like, look at this. I'm looking at their list right now on Wikipedia. Uh, 2005, Barbie and the Magic of Pegasus. You know, 2003, uh, Nickelodeon Toon Twister 3D. 2008, Space Chimps. That was the only game they made on in 2008 on the DS. Uh, 2009, they made a boy in his blob. You know, that was a big thing. So it's weird. They have these really weird 
mixes where they make these games that nobody seems to care about and these games that are actually really culturally significant to the hardcore video game uh, audience. So this is just another insignificant one, it seems. And I'm really confused about this whole thing because I don't know why they showed this. Let's dive into the game a little bit. Bakugan is a, let's call it a Pokemon-like. You know, it's similar to Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Beyblade a little bit. Mostly, think of Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh kind of with a Beyblade style. Sounds sick, but I've never really been that interested in it. By the time it came out and was a big cultural zeitgeist for the youth, I was a little bit older. So, uh... It's very, oh, Digimon. Digimon. It's got a lot of Digimon in it, too, it seems. It's more hardcore, like Digimon would be, like more, but Digimon has, like, some cute-looking animal, uh, monsters and stuff, too, like, similar to Pokemon, but just a little bit more realistic proportions and all in Digimon. Bakugan's, like, very Yu-Gi-Oh, like that. It's very, like, hardcore, kind of more BA proportions and drawing style and all that. And Bakugan's from the mid to late 2000s as a toy, a TV show, trading card game. And first thing that I noticed, actually second thing, I'll tell you the first thing in a moment. Second thing I noticed was the menu style, the UI design, it's straight up like stuck in 2007. It's crazy. Like... I was really surprised by that. And look, I'm not complaining. Those who know me know that I love the 2000s style. More so early 2000s, but that mid-2000s things, I mean, that's what I grew up with on the DS, right? That's like my generation's thing. So it was interesting to see, just very surprising. Does not look like something that I would expect to see in 2020. And uh, moving forward with things that I did not expect to see... I didn't expect to see a game that looked this poor. I uh, I don't like to talk bad on, on game projects going out, you know. But I just was really surprised that uh, Nin- Nintendo put out a presentation on Paper Mario, which I just spent half an hour singing its praises of how insanely polished it is and how so much care went into every aspect of the gameplay and the presentation. More so than most games, even like the best of games, not even, not necessarily that Nintendo put in more care than other development companies do, but this is a game that really shows that off. It's really a, um, a good example of seeing that work and what could be done for video games. And they spend like about half an hour themselves showing it off. And now... They follow that up with Bakugan, a game that looks like Pokemon Sword and Shield, but worse. And Sword and Shield is known for <laughs> not looking great and having a lot of controversy around that. The animations from Sword and Shield are known for being reused. There was a big meme around the time before it came out about how uh, the trees in Sword and Shield literally look worse than the trees from Ocarina of Time, an N64 game that is, what, 22 years its senior came out in 1998 and the trees in that game looked better than sword and shield and then this game comes out and it looks even 
like looks like a beta version of that it's crazy the animation was uh it's not looking too hot everything looked very uh as i would put it like stock you know and i saw somebody in the chat mention it uh on the youtube live chat mentioned like it just looked so bland it just looked it looked like they just had some like stock art assets that they just threw together quickly for like a just to test out a blank thing in the game and that's again such a weird contrast to the paper mario presentation that was right before it which was just like bursting with this like soul and every part of the game had like such a unique personality and identity and this was just so devoid of that i mean look look it up you know if you're if you're listening and you haven't seen it like it's it's really it, it's uh it was shocking to see. I'm really confused. I can't, I don't understand why this presentation came right after the Mario one. The only reason that I can think is because they really wanted to show it off for some reason. Maybe Bakugan rakes in a ton of money, you know, maybe people buy it. Even if, uh, even if me myself as a video game fan is looking at this and thinks that it doesn't look too hot, maybe it sells really well. So they just wanted to get that out there. That's the only reason that I can imagine. But, uh, I mean, the game looked blockier than Paper Mario. And Paper Mario is a game that's supposed to look blocky because it's made out of cardboard. It was crazy. All that being said, they showed off the Bakugan fighting. The Bakugan monsters themselves look pretty sick. Gotta admit, that looked pretty rad. The gameplay, not so much. Looked repetitive, looked boring to me. Uh, I'm sure Pokemon would look kind of like that too somebody who hasn't played pokemon a lot of rpgs kind of look like that in a sense but this certainly looked different because it was an active it was an active uh battle system you were running around your bakugan and collecting stuff to send it to fight or something and in something that's supposed to be active like that like almost like um almost like a like an MMO or something where you're like running around like a, a big boss for like a raid or something. That's supposed to be exciting. This looked really bland and boring. So honestly, I'm kind of hooked now. I'm really intrigued to see what happens with this. It's coming out in November. Uh, the, by the way, the viewership for the video, the live stream dropped immensely once the Bakugan stuff started and the likes started not only pouring in for dislikes, but the likes started switching over to dislikes, too. Which I don't think is, I mean, that's why I don't like about all this. I don't I don't like to, to talk badly about these games, and I'm talking about it pretty harshly on, on this right now. But, uh, I don't know, I don't want to, I don't want to talk down to the developers, you know, they might be really proud of what they made. It's just a weird... It's just not, it's not the spot for it. It's like, why? It's like having, it's like having your crappy DIY cover band open up for the Beatles. What are you doing? You know, not the spot, not the time and place. It's a weird pairing. So that was all for that direct. And it wasn't a full direct, but there's rumors that we're going to get another full direct very soon. July 20th is the rumor right now by Kilios, uh, a known leaker and a, he has a good reputation. Uh, him and Ninji 
seem to be pretty spot on right now with these Nintendo leaks this past year. And Kilios, I believe, le uh, leaked the last mini direct. And uh, he might be, I'm not sure, he might be the one who uh, announced or leaked like New Paper Mario and New Mario remaster coming out. Now, the Paper Mario thing came true. That's not something that's tough to guess. That's been in rumors like every time there's a rumor leak. It's always like, oh, and we're getting another Paper Mario. It, as, it doesn't come true half the time, and half the time it does just because Nintendo's kind of been pumping these out more so than their other series lately. But this guy's got a good track record. He's saying July 20th, and... I haven't looked into necessarily what's supposed to be announced there. I've heard some crazy stuff. Um, there's a lot of expectations about Breath of the Wild 2, especially after the controversy that I mentioned in the last episode. And I wouldn't be surprised. I'm expecting to see Breath of the Wild 2. I'm expecting to hear about these Mario remasters. I mean, it's the 35th anniversary of Mario, and, um, and Nintendo's got nothing else lined up. For this year potentially breath of the wild 2 might be coming out at the end of this in this holiday season we don't know but otherwise it's like a mario remaster would be great people are saying mario kart 9 and look i don't think there's going to be a mario kart 9 anytime soon mario kart 8 selling game busters on switch it's selling systems and they have no need to cannibalize that and it's selling so much, and it's a game that they didn't even have to develop for this console. It was developed for the Wii U in 2014, and they just ported it as a launch title here. And look, I bought it again. Everyone I know who has a Wii U and bought a Switch bought it again. They got no reason to make a Mario Kart 9. And just a little bit of a direct history here to wrap it up for some context about this next direct rumor. Oh, also, another thing to note, it seems like it's common that Nintendo puts out a Direct after a major release. After um, the uh, the last mini Direct that came out on March 26th, 2020, came out a few days after Animal Crossing did. And uh, so this would make sense that a new Direct's coming out a few days after the Paper Mario game. But... Uh, yeah, it's almost been a year since our last Direct, September 4th, 2019. And a little bit of extra context that people haven't been mentioning in these articles I've been seeing. The last, before that, the Direct before that was the June 11th, 2019 E3 Direct. That's crazy. That we've only gotten one Direct right after the E3 one and nothing since then. And we haven't had an E3 Direct this year. It's a, I mean, look, it's a crazy year. Everybody knows that. But I'm ready for this drought to end. So uh, hopefully we can be tuning in next, uh, let's see, what day is the 20th? 20th and Monday. All right. Well, look, if there is a Direct on July 20th, I'll see you next Monday. Until then... I'll be seeing you tomorrow, uh, most likely for the Devolver Digital Direct is going to be happening, so keep an ear out for that, uh, unless I plan to be talking about that 
uh, except, you know, if there's not a lot of Switch-relevant titles or not a huge amount of announcements, not enough that I feel is worthy for an episode, then I won't be diving into it. But uh, I feel like Devolver Digital, I feel like they come ready to mess. So I think I have a funny feeling I'll be seeing you here. Otherwise, uh, tune in every Saturday for another Nintendo discussion based around news, nostalgia, where we get into the nitty-gritty. And separately from that will be surprise news announcements casts, just like today. So until tomorrow, stay safe and have a lovely day. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.